Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll go back into Romans 14 for a little while this afternoon. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me share with you another passage, and it applies to me and not to you, about that standing before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a ministerial chapter where the Apostle Paul compares himself to Apollos and to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. There in the first half of the chapter about how they water and they plant, but it's God that gives the increase. And follow with me as I read, beginning at verse 10, because the Apostle Paul was the wise master builder, and he lays out some weighty threats and warnings to underbuilders. 1 Corinthians 3.10 According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Amen and amen. In verse 16, when it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, this sounds very familiar to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But they're very different contexts and very different meanings. In 1 Corinthians 6, it is your physical body that the Holy Spirit dwells in. In 1 Corinthians 3, it is this church body that is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if any man defiles the church body... God will destroy him. Verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, referring to the church, where Paul had been the wise master builder and laid the foundation in Jesus Christ, if a minister comes along and builds on that foundation, wood, hay, and stubble, not lasting aspects of true Christian religion, that work is going to be burned up when he meets the Lord Jesus Christ and destroyed, and that man is going to be judged and is going to have to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ for having messed around with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if he builds gold, silver, or precious stones, lasting precious metals upon the foundation of what the Apostle Paul laid by preaching Christ Jesus, he will get a reward. You know, the man's going to end up being saved if he's one of God's elect, but he's going to be saved so as by fire, because the fire of Jesus Christ's judgment is going to burn up his ministerial labors. So ministers are going to give an account for them as ministers. You're going to give an account for yourself as a church member. And in either case, if we defile or destroy church members by hurting them in their faith, by hurting them in their walk with God, we're all in trouble. Some of you came to me at break time and said, 
I did not know or appreciate the choice of language by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 14 that said, how can you destroy a brother that Jesus Christ died for? That is strong language. Damnation is in the 23rd verse of that chapter. That is strong language. But if you hinder another believer from not being able to live in peace and joy with God, walking with Him, then you've destroyed him. You've taken away his fellowship with God. And you're going to answer for it just like I'm going to answer for all of you and what I've preached. If I have built on the foundation of Jesus Christ things that are lasting and things that are precious and things that are true, there'll be a reward. But if I don't, it's going to get burned up. I'll be saved. Yet so as by fire and the shame of having all my labors, all my ministerial labors amount to nothing in the sight of Him whose eyes are have nothing hidden to them. All things are naked and open unto His eyes. But I wanted to share that with you so that you can see that a man can be saved, yet his time, his labors can be burned up. And that if a minister preaches the wrong things, he is defiling the temple of God, which is the church, and he's going to be destroyed. Which in Romans 14, it's you. Across the aisle, encouraging, pushing, promoting, extorting by whatever pressure someone to sin against their conscience and you defile them, it's a sin against God and you're going to answer for it in the day of judgment yourself. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. In verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Rome that they would all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I reminded you of that this morning. Every one of us should be laboring that we might be accepted of Him. And being accepted of the Lord Jesus Christ is different than being accepted of men. We want to examine ourselves and root out every problem, every sin, every temptation, every weakness, every fault that we have, and confess them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all iniquity. But those three verses, 10 through 12, that describe the second judgment, that you, that, that describe the judgment that occurs at the second coming of Jesus Christ is something you should not forget. And outside these walls, no one's going to remind you about it. You're not going to read about it, hear about it. It's not going to be in a performance appraisal on the job because they don't even know how to measure a man's character, nor do they care. But we want to be measuring ourselves by examining ourselves in the light of scripture and the light of preaching like we've had today. And I'm thankful for the words that you just sang, that God the Holy Spirit would make the text and doctrine of God's Word very meaningful to you and cause it to last in your memories when you walk out of this place. But in verses 10 through 12, the judgment of Jesus Christ is described. And so the Apostle says in verse 13, Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Because we're going to stand before Jesus Christ Let's not pick on each other for the things that don't matter. Of course a church has to judge. When someone sins against God's word, the church does judge. When children disobey their parents, parents do judge. When men commit crimes, the civil magistrate judges. But this is judgment about things that God doesn't care about. Things indifferent. Matters of Christian liberty. Let's not judge anyone anymore in those kind of things But judge this rather, that we do not put a stumbling block or cause a brother to fall in any such thing. The Apostle Paul then goes on and tells us that he's one of the strong. 
I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. All meats can be eaten. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. This weak Jew that is hung up on his traditions and habits, to eat that meat is to sin against his conscience. But Paul says in verse 15, If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. You are not showing Christian love. You are not showing brotherly love if you flaunt your liberty in these things that could offend a Jew or a weak brother in the church. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. The contrast there in those two clauses of that short little sentence are powerful. Destroy not him with thy meat because God doesn't care about the meat. Neither he that eateth nor he that eateth not is any different in the sight of God. 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans chapter 14 and Jesus died for this brother. Everyone in here that we believe, that gives a testimony of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we assume for the sake of church membership that Jesus Christ died for them. Jesus died for them. Why are we destroying their relationship with God? Jesus died for them to have a peaceful, joyful, happy, content, fulfilled relationship with God. And we destroy it by pushing on them our liberty on certain things. And I will get to all those things. Right now, I want you to feel the weight of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ written by the Apostle Paul in this epistle. If if, if a brother's grieved with our meat because of what we choose to eat, not thinking about his conscience, then we are not dealing charitably. We're not showing Christian charity. And without charity, it doesn't matter how much we know. It doesn't matter what else we do. It doesn't matter how high we're esteemed. It doesn't matter whether we're an apostle and we're speaking with the tongues of men and of angels and have all knowledge that we understand all mysteries. We're nothing. And worse than that, we're going to be judged because we're destroying someone that Jesus Christ died for. And then so it says in verse 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. The strong, the strong being able to enjoy God's creatures of all kinds, shrimp and pork, It was something good. Them not worrying about the old Jewish calendar. That was something good. They didn't have all those stipulations of what they were supposed to do every new moon and every particular ceremonial holy day of the Jews' calendar. That was good. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Though you're doing something that is good, though you are practicing the religion in its purest form, which I was persuaded of the Lord Jesus Christ is correct, That good can be evil spoken of if we use it in the wrong place, the wrong way, with those who are not ready to receive it. But notice, as a minister, the Apostle Paul is still slipping in throughout this chapter and throughout 1 Corinthians 8 that the Jews were wrong. He's calling it good. He's calling them weak. He says, I know and am persuaded that all meat can be eaten. He says that, but at the same time, he immediately tells the strong members protect those weak ones. Is that mercy in the, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Right while he's telling them, because he's trying to convert them, he's trying to educate their consciences so they will come up to speed and the church won't have to worry about what they're eating with each other. They won't have to worry about holy days because those days have passed away. But for those Jews that had just been converted out of their parents' religion, that would have been very difficult. And the Lord takes that into account. Praise His name. The tenderness and mercy of our God is wonderful. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So while you're doing what is right, while you're doing what is true, 
while you're, while you're doing what is strong, while you're doing what the Apostle Paul would do, it can be evil spoken of because you're offending a brother. You're grieving a brother. You're putting a stumbling block in front of a brother so that he goes home and tries to do what you do, but he doesn't have a conscience that will defend him or excuse him in the matter, and he sins against his conscience. And you have broken his fellowship with God. You've taken the peace and joy of his Christian life, even though you were doing what was good. This is the lesson of the 16th verse. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And if there's a verse that you want to memorize from Romans chapter 14, it should be the 17th verse. Thank you, Micaiah, for coming and laying that on me this morning when I first got here, you bold young man. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What a verse. What a wonderful verse. The kingdom of God, what is it? The kingdom of God is the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over believers. When we are baptized, we enter the kingdom of heaven, according to the Gospels. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. The kingdom of God is the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over His churches, over His saints, according to His Gospel. It is the New Testament kingdom of David. It's called the tabernacle of David. It's God reigning over His children while they're on earth, a minority of the earth's population. But this kingdom of God, this collection of His churches, this collection of His saints, were in close communion and association with those that have already gone before us in heaven. That is not meat and drink. Meat and drink does not impress the God or the king of this kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, does not care, even in this particular generation, when there was such a difference of opinion between the Gentiles and Jews, what someone ate or drank. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So don't let your good be evil spoken of. Forget those things that God doesn't really care about. God doesn't care if you eat meat or you don't eat meat. God doesn't care if you keep the old Jewish holidays or you don't keep them. Because that is not the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? What is it to follow Jesus Christ? What is it to be a true Christian? What is it to be a proper church member? What is it to be part of this unseen, invisible monarchy that exists in the world? There is a monarchy that is unseen in the world, and the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne of it. And it does, it's not what you eat or drink. What is it? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not earthly righteousness. It's not man-made righteousness. It's not worldly peace. And it's not human joy. It is spiritual joy, spiritual peace, and spiritual and scriptural righteousness. And this is the most important verse, if we can pick one, that summarizes so much in this 14th chapter. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. You should understand that clearly enough by now, that being the faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and citizens of a holy nation, which we are by our profession and baptism, there's three things that are important in His kingdom that the apostle limited it to in this particular passage. All The three of these are fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can see that it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is not earthly, 
It's not earth, of earthly or origin. You cannot cause these things yourself. This is what the Holy Spirit bears in our lives when we're walking with the Holy Spirit of God. Holding your finger there, if you want to hear Ephesians 5 and verse 9, I want to show you that these three are fruit of the Spirit. You know Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So we have the latter two, but what about the first one that's righteousness? In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9, we have in parentheses, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The fruit of the Spirit includes truth and goodness and righteousness according to the Ephesians 5.9. So when we come back to Romans 14.17, what is a great Christian? What is a true follower of Jesus Christ? What is someone that is faithful in their calling, faithful in their baptism, faithful in their profession to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and His reign over His people that are already in heaven and those that are on earth? What characterizes their lives? These three things, and they do not include meat and drink, their righteousness and peace and joy. This righteousness is not the righteousness of Jesus Christ that must clothe us legally for us to stand before God. This is righteousness that you are to be practicing toward other church members. This is the righteousness of Romans 14, of treating other people properly. Righteousness is what is right as defined by God's Word. This is not what Jesus Christ secured for us. This is what we are supposed to be working out in our lives by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why it's a fruit in us of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.9. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Righteousness is right. Doing what is right, defined by the Bible. Does the Bible say in the New Testament that it matters what you eat? No. Does the Bible say in the New Testament anything about holy days and new moons and Sabbaths? Yeah, they were nailed to the cross and they're all gone away. So this is righteousness of the New Testament sort that is laid out in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that righteousness that we're supposed to be known for in the church. The things that, the things that count now, you know, are our love of the brethren. Our things that count now are our love of Christ. Our things that count now are living in light of our baptism. As has been explained to you by our brother in his daily devotionals that he has sent out this past week from Colossians chapter 3. That's the righteousness of the New Testament. It doesn't include meat and drink. And so, the kingdom of God is not these things that God doesn't care about, that because of the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Jews were still hung up on them superstitiously. Those things don't matter. What matters is, what has God said is right? in the New Testament. And that includes how you treat those that are different from you in Christian liberty. But it also includes everything else that is taught to us in the Gospel as to how we should live. And Paul has written us many things about how we deal in our marriages, how we deal with our children, how we deal in the job, how we deal with our government, how we deal with our tongue. You know, it's all there in the Word of God. And it's our righteousness. And those are the things that matter. That we are living godly, showing godly character in every relationship that we have, every dealing that we have, every part of our life. Not these things that are non-issues. Like meat and drink. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Now, 
It goes on and adds two more things to this righteousness that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and He bears in our life the doing of things that please God. True righteousness. But there's also two other things. Peace and joy. And this peace and joy comes by the Holy Ghost. We can't have a rah-rah session and raise this kind of peace and joy. This must come from a person being submissive to the Holy Spirit of God, obeying Him. Notice what comes first. The righteousness comes first. When we are obeying God by His definition of what is right, then God the Holy Spirit will bear peace in our lives and joy in our lives, and we are supposed to be pursuing that peace and that joy in the church. If we want to have a family as a local church that pleases God, it doesn't matter what is on the table. What matters is how the children around the table are treating each other. And every father knows what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what we eat. A little with love is better than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. And God our Father is the same way. We are supposed to be a loving group of people, not having strong Gentiles on one side of the aisle, weak Jews on the other side of the aisle, and them despising or judging each other. The kingdom of God is not those kind of things. The kingdom of God is doing what is right, helping each other do what is right, warning the unruly, bearing the infirmities of the weak, and seeking for peace and joy in the church. What a hard task. What a terrible assignment. I speak as a fool. What a wonderful thing that God wants the church to be. This is His kingdom. You know, there are so many kingdoms in the world. Have you ever seen a Catholic manual of religion? Have you ever seen how long it is and how detailed it is of when you can eat certain meats and when you're supposed to be fasting and Lent and blah, blah, blah for all seven other sacraments? But the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not those things. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That means you're obeying God and you have all your sins confessed so that God the Holy Spirit is working through you to be a producer of peace and joy in the assembly. That's the real kingdom of God. That is what Jesus Christ wants to reign over. That is what Jesus Christ seeks. That is a wonderful concept. And when you go find a church in the New Testament, where would we go find a church that had the greatest measure of the Holy Spirit? What book of the Bible would we go to? Acts. And what chapter in Acts would we go to? Nobody wants to answer now. Acts chapter 2 that describes what happens on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the church was full of the Holy Ghost because they were buried. The Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. And, and you know, have you read some of the things that it says about that church being full of the Holy Ghost? Even though they were all kinds of people from all over the place that were immediately thrown together upon their baptism and joining together with the apostles. But it says things like this. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. Notice, they were glad people. They gladly received His word. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They're, they're living righteously together with one another. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. 
What a happy group of people. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding what was important, that it wasn't meat and drink, it was righteousness and peace and joy. Are you a peacemaker? Or are you a disruptor of peace? Marital peace. Domestic peace. Parent-child peace. Church peace. Brother-to-brother peace. The God of heaven loves peace. He sent the Prince of Peace to make peace. He expects us to be peaceful with one another. The God of heaven and serving Him is the greatest privilege that we could ever have in our lives, and He expects us to be joyful serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a producer of joy? Do you cause other people to be happy? Or do you cause other people to be sad, grieved, offended, hurt? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. These strong Gentiles and these weak Jews, despising and judging each other and setting each other at naught, had taken away the peace of the Roman church, had taken away the joy of the Roman church, had taken away its righteousness. And so the apostle comes along and in one verse tells us what's important. You can't come in here and just sit on the foam rubber. You're not a producer of peace or joy. We need to be greeting one another. You know, the Bible says in five places we ought to be greeting one another with a holy kiss. And if you're asking yourself right now, when are you going to preach on that text? After I see you do it a few Sundays in a row. I have preached on the text before. We're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. Some of you come in here and just flop down in your chair, talk to family members. That is such a disgrace and it's offensive to the God of heaven. It's offensive to me. This isn't a family reunion here. This is God's family. This is His church. We should be looking out for each one that's in this room. You know, this morning as the men gathered back here, the men of this church, they were exhorted by the oldest man among us to take careful, pay careful attention and show careful affection toward the little children in our church. And a passage was read to us from Matthew chapter 18 regarding that care for the little ones. Or Matthew 10. That even giving a cup of cold water to one of the little ones that believe in Jesus, that man shall not lose his reward. That's how our church ought to be. From top to bottom, we care about one another. And that doesn't mean our family. This is not a family reunion. This is to come here and meet the other people that we haven't talked to 55 times during the week. This is to come and love one another and an honor to prefer one another, that each other is more important than us, and to make peace and to sow peace. These are Bible expressions. We can sow peace by whenever we sense that there's a difficulty between two parties, we want to get in there and resolve it. And if it involves us, we want to confess and apologize for anything we've done to cause offense. We want to produce joy. We want to produce excitement by praising the Lord to one another, by by exhorting each other in the Word of God, by inquiring about their lives, by thanking them with them for the good things that are happening to them. This is what we ought to do when we assemble. This is a main part of why we assemble. Especially in a time when we have the Internet, I could easily preach to you from my office and send you a link. But the Lord hasn't linked us together like that. He's caused us to come together into one place where we can exhort one another 
and to consider one another. These are words out of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, to consider one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works by producing peace and making joy and turning the church by the power of the Holy Spirit through us, all our sins confessed, all of it done sincerely, all of it done because we're walking so close to the Lord, we are automatically peaceful and joyful. Romans fourteen seventeen. Let's go to verse 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. I love that, tying up Romans verses 16 through 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ. What things? There's five things listed in Romans 14, 17. What things are the things being pulled forward into verse 18? Righteousness, peace, and joy. The meat and drink are left behind. They don't matter. The drink there is wine libations to the pagan gods of Rome. Just like the meat was offered in sacrifice to idols, so was wine poured out as drink offerings because pagans have always aped the worship of Jehovah and Jehovah had drink offerings as well. It is not wine like the teetotalers and prohibitionists would have us think here. This is wine that's been poured out to idols. That's why it's connected in such a passage as it is with no other mention made of it because in both testaments people drank wine. There was no problem with that. Jesus was a wine drinker of a regular basis because he was called a wine bibber by the Jews. But that will come up at another time. But that meat and drink is not the issue. It doesn't matter what we eat or what we drink. What matters is righteousness, peace, and joy. And verse 18 encourages us by saying, He, a single person, if you can be gripped by wanting to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by being able to stand before Him in the day of judgment and give an account of your life with joy and give an account of your life with confidence, these are the things that ought to be known about you. You produce peace. You produce happiness. You make people happy. You make people peaceful because you resolve differences. You overlook faults. You forgive. You love. You show kindness. In honor, you prefer one another. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Now the Gentile, when he would eat pork, it tells us in verse 6, that he would eat pork to the Lord and he would give God thanks. It doesn't say pork. I'm putting it there. He that eateth is the one eating meat. He giveth God thanks. So he's doing it to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's a time to stop doing that to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow someone else in the church, the weak Jews, to have their vegetarian lifestyle and you go ahead and serve the Lord in the things that matter the most, righteousness and peace and joy. When, when, the, when the Bible explains something this expressly to us, does it get you excited at all? When it, when it boils down 30 verses of the epistle to the Romans, 30 verses, they start at 14.1, they end at 15.7, the 30 verses can be boiled down to this. The Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of the kingdom of David calls for three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. I like simple, short lists. And this is a simple, short list. The meat, the questions about Jewish holy days, all of it can be thrown away. 
The, the, the weak Jews should have left it. The strong Gentiles should ignore it. They should all be happy together. Because we want to do what God says is right. We want to be at peace with each other. And we want to produce joy and all of it by the Holy Ghost. And if a person has their sins confessed and is reading the Bible and from their knees beseeching the face of God to come to them and to walk with them and for Jesus Christ to sup with them, they will be happy and they will want to cause others to be happy. They will be peaceful because their souls will be at peace and they will want to make peace in every relationship that they can affect and they will want to do everything that is right by the definition of God. And so there's there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus said, it's a spiritual kingdom and it's within you. You cannot say, lo, there's the kingdom of heaven or lo, there's the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom within us. It's a spiritual kingdom. And it's one based on these things, not the matters of liberty that that don't matter to God or men. And And look what it says in that 18th verse. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God. In considering the judgment, when God swore by Himself and said that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, when I presented that to you in the first sermon this morning, I took you to 2 Corinthians 5.9 where Paul said, Therefore we labor that we may be accepted of Him. Do you want to know how to be accepted? When I have a passage like this that tells me about the judgment in verses 10 through 12, and then it tells me in verse 18 how I can be accepted with God, I like the connection. I like the answer that I'm told, what is God looking for from my life? So that when I stand before Him and give an account of my life in those three verses that came earlier, I will be accepted. When the Apostle Paul says he labors that he might be accepted, I want to be accepted. I want you to be accepted. And we're told right here in the context of how we can be accepted. First of all, you've got to be living in the Holy Ghost. How do I live in the Holy Spirit? Confess your sins. Unconfessed sins grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. That's how you live in the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit. Ask God to restore His Spirit unto you. David would pray in Psalm 51, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But he was confessing his sins and confessing them earnestly before God. When we confess our sins, God the Holy Spirit will take over in our lives. And with God the Holy Spirit in our lives and us feasting on the Word of God and us thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and us delighting in the great mystery of godliness and whatever other verses in the Bible you need to delight in, and there's about 31,102 of them, you will be at peace. And you'll want to make peace. If you've wronged someone you will beg them to forgive you. If they've wronged you, you'll forgive them without them asking. Because that's the Bible way. You'll be full of joy. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Happiness is a choice. But this happiness is not a choice that the world can have. This happiness is a choice by someone walking in the Holy Spirit of God. Because it's by the Holy Ghost. It's true joy. It's spiritual joy. It's joy about Christ, and it's joy about others that are Christ. This is the kingdom of heaven. Churches like, I mentioned the Roman Catholic Church, and other churches have a whole book and books of order on rules 
that you have to keep of what you can eat and drink, when and where and how and what you wear and where you buy the candles and where you put the candles and, and how you genuflect and how you do all that kind of crazy stuff. And you know what? The kingdom of heaven of the Lord Jesus Christ is so simple. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I spent five sermons, two Sundays, times two, and a Wednesday night, teaching you in the last one month of how to be closer to God and to draw nigh to Him and have the Lord Jesus sup with you and you with Him and to be filled with all the fullness of God. If you were to put those things into practice, the happiness in your heart and the peacefulness in your heart would come out of you and be shed abroad in other lives. You would, you would by nature, your new nature, keep the righteousness of God. Then the matters of liberty across the aisle, you couldn't care less. Someone across the aisle offends you. They're flaunting their liberty. You'd forgive them without them even asking because you're full of the Holy Ghost and righteousness, peace, and joy are the most important things to you. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I have very limited vision. But I see too much immaturity, too much selfishness, too much vainglory, too many comfort zones, too many people sticking to themselves, yapping with family, and not loving others. We're not the church that we could be. We're not the church that we should be. We all need to grow up. It's children that think about themselves. Adults don't think about themselves. The difference between a girl and a mother is incredible. Because by the time the girl becomes a mother, she has to grow up to know that her life doesn't matter much anymore. Because she's serving first a husband and then these little bundles of joy that keep arriving. It's maturity. It's Christian maturity. And that's what's wrapped up here. These little things that we get all worked up about, our little personal agendas, our little crusades, they don't matter. What matters is, are we in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and supping and communing with Him? Are we filled with all the fullness of God? Do we love and delight in His Word? Are we full of joy about being a Christian? Are we full of peace about it? And do we want to make peace? Whenever we smell a difference, Do we want to go put the fire out and make peace there? When we see someone unhappy and with an unfulfilled, unhappy life, do we want to show them the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ? And are we showing that ourselves by our lives? This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He sits in the throne of David. He doesn't care what we eat or drink. He doesn't care about the long list that I'm going to bring up in coming Sundays. He cares about how peaceful and joyful we are by the power of His Spirit and how much we show that, cause that, promote that in our church. We can be a happier church. We can be a more peaceful church. I'm thankful for what we have, very much so. And every part and every joint that God has put in His church should be contributing to its happiness, to its peacefulness, and to its righteousness. So that we're all together, considering one another and provoking one another to love and to good works, good works as defined by the Bible, and that we're peacemakers, and that we're joyful and happy, and it's showing, we're sharing it, we're promoting it, so the church is what it ought to be. A happy family of God gathered around a table that we'll sit at next Sunday, loving one another, caring about one another, because like we fathers, we don't care what's on the table. 
We care about the attitudes and spirits around the table. May God bless the preaching of his word to your instruction. May we be the church that Paul wrote for in Romans chapter 14. Amen. Amen.